0: Thank you, Andrea and worship team. I love that song. In fact, I asked for that song this morning, uh, not just because it's probably one of my favorite songs that I hear on K-Love, but because that, that song is based upon our text this morning, where we are in the Gospel of Mark. And those words, peace be still, we're going to come to those, those are the words of Jesus spoken into the midst of the storms of our lives. So if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, second book in your New Testament, about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. Uh, If you're visiting this morning, we're really glad to have you. We are working through, really almost verse by verse, a look at the life, the ministry, the teaching of Jesus through the eyes of the, the Gospel writer John Mark, a man known as John Mark. And we are up to the very last few verses of chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in chapter 35. But uh, while you're turning there, let, let me just throw out this question to kind of bring a focus on how we're looking at the text today. Um, when we speak of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, we, we tend to use language, especially in the southern evangelical culture that, that many of us have have come out of, we tend to use language that is not necessarily Jesus' language. And, and maybe you're, you're used to a common phrase uh, to describe what it means to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and, and that phrase is, I, I ask Jesus into my heart. And I don't have a problem with that phrase, and in some ways it does describe the beginning of a relationship with Jesus, but those aren't the way Jesus would have described it. And he uses language, as we've seen in the gospel of Mark, that speak of not just something that happened at a particular point in time, but of an ongoing, dynamic, continual relationship with him. So, for instance, this is reaching back to chapter 1, but chapter 1, verse 17, what does he say to those initial men who followed him? Follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And again, that's not He was just inviting them to make that initial decision. It's an ongoing thing. He makes that invitation to us, follow me. Whoever you are in life and wherever you have been placed and whatever spheres you're in, Jesus invites you as He invites me to follow Him. Or the other phrase Jesus used over and over again that describe a a continual dynamic relationship. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. Trust in me. Have faith in me. Have faith in this gospel, this good news that I'm presenting. And again, that's not a one-time beginning of your spiritual life decision. That's an ongoing invitation, an everyday type of invitation. So Mark is used by God as we go through it, really, to bring that into focus, and and really the the question that I think it raises, particularly in the the setting of our text today, is how do we live lives that increasingly trust Jesus as Savior and Lord? How do we make decisions on a day-by-day basis that continue to reflect we are following Him? And how do we do that, especially under stress? How do we do that specifically and especially when storms blow into our lives, which we'll look at in just a minute? That's where it's really tested, isn't it? It's one thing to come on a Sunday morning and and sing and enjoy the worship and enjoy the fellowship and have everything seem pretty calm on the surface. It's a whole other thing to follow Jesus faithfully, to trust in Jesus faithfully when we're wrestling and going through difficulties. Well, let's, uh, let's come to the text today where, where we see Jesus bring this into focus for us. I'm going to pick it up in verse 35 and give you a little contextual background before we look at how this speaks to us today all these centuries later. Verse 35, Mark records that on that day, and, and that just takes us back to the beginning of chapter 4 where Jesus has been teaching, and there's crowds that, that have come to hear Him, He's on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, near the busy town of Capernaum. He's teaching even from a boat, because the crowd has been so massive that he's, he's been taken his place of teaching in a boat while the crowd is on the shore. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, "Let us go across to the other side." And you see a picture there on the screen of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's teaching from. It's not really a sea. It's an inland lake. It's a large lake, about 13 miles long, seven and a half miles at its widest point. And uh, that is, I I actually took that photo myself when I had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple years ago. That is a, a photo taken looking out to the other side, the eastern side of the lake of the Sea of Galilee in the evening. And it's from about the area where Jesus was probably teaching this from. So what's going on here? They've had an intense day of of ministry. It's it's really spanned all of chapter four, and they've had some intense days before that. He now wants to take his disciples and go from the populated areas on the western side of the the lake, where where the crowds are, are the hugest. He wants to get away from the crowds. He wants to go over to the eastern side. There's not any really cities of any size over there. It is an opportunity to get away from the crowds, although next week we'll find out that wasn't so successful. But what was driving this? Well, what was driving this is, is, is Jesus, though He is fully God, though He is fully divine, He's also fully human. And because He's human, He's like you and me, and, and He needs, after intense days of activity, He needs rest. He needs uh, recuperation. He needs time alone with His disciples, resting and in solitude. So, verse 36 tells us that uh, after leaving the crowd, they took Him with Him in the boat. And uh, uh, the boat there is, is… there's a model there that is not a boat left from Jesus' day, but that's a model that's been built based upon what we know of the kind of boat that Jesus was probably in that this, this, uh, this story records. That, that mo- boat is based upon in 1986. They found buried in the mud along the Sea of Galilee, not far from Capernaum, they, they found the remains of the hull of a boat. I've seen that hull myself. And from that, we can tell a lot about what the typical Galilean fishing boat looked like, the kind of boat that is featured in the story. The typical Galilean fishing boat was, was about 27 feet long. It was about seven feet wide at its widest, maybe four, four and a half feet at its deepest. It had a prow that came up on either end at the bow and, and the stern. Uh, it, it had a mast, one single mast that you could propel this boat by. It had spaces for four rowers, two on each side to, to propel the boat if needed. And the boat typically held about 15 people. So probably all of Jesus' disciples were with Him in the boat, 13 of them all together. And over the bow and over the stern in these kinds of boats was a platform that was built, and as we're going to see later, that is probably what Jesus was sleeping underneath, that platform in the stern. They took Him, Mark tells us, just as He was. That's a reference to after that exhausting time of ministry, He was tired, He was exhausted, He was in need of sleep and rest. Now, again, this is just kind of the introduction contextually, but what does this even begin to communicate to us about what it means on a regular, continual, ongoing basis to follow Jesus in faith? I think one thing very, very, very clearly is the same kind of invitation that he gives to his disciples, he gives to us. It's not on the Sea of Galilee, obviously, but his invitation or his call. Let us go over to the other side. What is that? That is a call. Come with me to a time of intimate fellowship. And one of the the crucial aspects of you and I following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, is having that continual, regular, ongoing time of intimate fellowship with Him. And in this case, as in our case it means getting away to a time of solitude it get, get, means getting away from the crowds I, I hope for you that's something that you experience i hope that what's that's part of what it means for you to abide with christ that you have a regular time whether it's daily or not you have a regular time where you withdraw in some kind of solitude and, and yes he's not there physically present like he was with the disciples but if you know the Lord by His indwelling Holy Spirit, He's present there, and He speaks to you and me through His Word, and we interact with Him through prayer. And that time, for me, that's a time in the morning before anything else in my day begins. That time is that time of going away to the other side, going to that time of fellowship, that solitude, and that, that strengthens and that feeds My ongoing relationship with him. That that gives energy to me being able to follow Jesus. I hope as you even think about the opening of 2019, that's maybe something you're reflecting on. How can I implement in my life some practices, practices in, in the Word of God, practices in prayer, that enable me to have that time of solitude, to have that time of intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus? But that meant that they had to leave the crowd. And that that was significant. That's where they thought everything was happening, the the, the busy crowds where they were ministering. Those are the people who were giving them and Jesus attention. And to go away with Jesus in intimate fellowship and to pursue what it means to follow Him meant that they had to leave what the vast majority of people there were doing. That's that's similar of His call to you and to me. When When Jesus calls us to follow Him, it is usually at odds with what most of the people around us are doing, sometimes even people in our own family, sometimes people who are closest to us as our friends, that His call means that you follow Him, not necessarily what everybody around you is saying. That's a tough step. That's a tough step. But but really, following Jesus growing in our trust and our relationship with Jesus, the biggest hurdle is leaving the crowd, is being willing to step away from the crowd. And the biggest first step that most of us need to take is getting in the boat to pursue intimate fellowship with Him. For some of you this morning, you've not even taken that initial step of getting in the boat. This this may be your day. This may be your morning where that first step of getting in the boat is recognizing Jesus for who He is that He is truly God, that He is Savior, that He is Lord and King. And to respond to His invitation back in chapter 115, repent, turn away from your life trying to live life your own way without Him, and believe. Turn to Him who is Savior, who is Lord, who is King. Maybe for you this morning, that's what getting in the boat is. For others of you this morning, like, like me, who you've made that initial getting in the boat, maybe it's, okay, how do I become more intentional this year in 2019 of pursuing fellowship with Him, intimate fellowship with Him? Well, let's pick up the text again in the very next verse, verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, this is written in the Greek. We translate it into the English. So, the Greek word there for windstorm actually has the meaning of of a whirlwind. And so, really what it does is it describes a storm that has the properties of a hurricane. This is not unusual on the Sea of Galilee, that picture I showed you before in the evening where the water was is still almost as glass. That's what I experienced when I was in Israel the few days I was near the Sea of Galilee. But apparently, this is quite common that they have storms like this, and it's because of the geography of the Sea of Galilee. That that lake is set down in a trench in what's called the Jordan Rift Valley. It actually sits almost 700 feet below sea level. And around it, you see, like in, in the, the picture up on the screen now, you see that the hills rise up quite high above it, all the way up in the north to Mount Hermon in the north, I think, I think some 9,000 feet high. And so you have this dynamic of the higher hills producing the cold, frigid air that, that rushes down these hills, down into the valley, down into the trough where this, this lake is, and they mix or they impact with the heated air that's sitting over the lake basin. And, you know, when cold air interacts with heated air, what does it do? It produces uh, a, a, almost a tornadic activity. It produces a storm. This commonly happens, apparently, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And The severity of the storm is, is emphasized by the statement, the waves were breaking into the boat. This is this is um, you know this is not like a battleship, but this is no little dinghy either. And so these waves were high enough to come well four feet over uh, over the, the surface in, into the boat to the point it sounds like they were almost swamping the boat. The boat was already filling. Now remember that that uh, again from earlier in Mark we know that some of these disciples were fishermen. So they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. What does that mean? They, they were experienced with boats, and they were experienced with storms on this lake. They, they'd probably been through many of these storms on this lake, and yet this storm was so serious that, that we pick up in the story here, these men become panicked. These men, these men, the, the experienced sailors, they go to wake up the carpenter, You know, they go to the one who has really no sailing experience. Why? Because they are so panicked. But again, picking it up in verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He is is under probably that platform built on the stern, and, and He's on a cushion that's probably a sandbag that was used for ballast. And really, the Greek is more accurate, He was sleeping. It's it's a, a present participle. In other words, he was probably so exhausted from that period of ministry, physically and emotionally exhausted, that moments after he probably got into the, the boat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he probably went into the stern and fell asleep. And he was in a relatively deep sleep. Now, how is it, you know, if you've ever been on a, on a boat in the middle of a storm… Uh, you, you know, there's plenty of, of motion up and down. In addition to the motion, there, there's water coming into the boat, spraying into the boat. In addition to that, there are panicked men who are, are probably furiously bailing and yelling to each other. How is it that Jesus could sleep through all this? Well, one, one aspect I've already mentioned, and that's the aspect of His humanity, and He was probably utterly exhausted. But I, I think there's also an aspect of His divinity, of His not only his Godhead, but his relationship to his heavenly Father here. I believe it models his complete trust in his heavenly Father. I don't think it was that he was passed out unconscious and not, not aware of what was going on. I believe it was he knew he was in the hands of his heavenly Father. But that's not the perception of his disciples, is it? In their panic, they wake him up And they said to him, Do you not care that we are perishing? Now let's take this statement at face value. It's a question, but it's not really a question, is it? It's an accusation. It's Jesus, with all that is going on, with the boat being swamped, don't you care about what's happening to us? How can you sleep when this is happening to us? Don't you care? I wonder how many times you found yourself asking those words of the Lord. Maybe, maybe you didn't think them. I I often don't say them, but they're they're happening in my mind. My emotions in the midst of my fear are stirring them up. And that's what's going on here. Their fear in the face of the storm overwhelms them. And we can relate. Even if we've never been in a boat on a lake, we can relate to storms. You may be here this morning, and you are in the midst of of a storm, of a metaphoric storm. Maybe it's maybe it's it's something to do with your health or or medical care. Maybe you found out that you have cancer. There's a storm. I remember when my wife came home with the news that she had breast cancer. That put us in the middle of a storm. Maybe you're here this morning and your, your storm is where you're at financially, and, and you look and, and the boat is filling with water, and you've been doing all you can trying to find work, trying to find extra sources of income, bailing out the boat, and it still looks to you like your boat is swamped and it's going to sink. Maybe you're in the middle of a relational storm, and what's happening with your, your spouse or your kids or your, your siblings, your parents that again feels overwhelming. That it feels like more water is coming in the boat than you are able by all of your efforts, by all of your good intentions to bail out of the boat. And I wonder if your experience is like the disciples. I know it's been mine too many times. We pray, we call out to the Lord, and there's no immediate answer. And it's kind of like, I mean, even if we haven't thought of it this way, it's kind of like He's asleep in the stern. It's kind of like we you know he's he 's either unaware of what we 're going through or he's aware, and he doesn't seem to care of what we 're going through and what does that produce in us if you 're like me that we become frightened, we become panicked, we even become whether we say it verbally or not upset with god don't you care what 's happening to me? We may think or even ask you see. I don't believe that the opposite of faith is doubt. I think the opposite of faith is fear. I think that's what we see here. Doubt can be worked through. Fear is what stirs us up emotionally. Fear is is, is what hijacks our emotions. Fear is, is, is what stirs up the emotions that we react in sinful ways out of. And when when we're hijacked by fear and our emotions are in the grip of fear, uh, you know, really, really, we we lose our perspective on what's going on in the boat of our lives. We lose perspective that the Lord is in the boat in the midst of our lives. You know, we come on a Sunday morning, and uh, again, we only go on surface impressions here, but many people here probably on a Sunday morning, the the sea of your of your life, the, the you know, the sea of Galilee, proverbially of your, your life seems to be still and good, but we don't know what's going on in your life. You don't know what's going on in my life. Maybe it is that even if you're not right in the middle of the storm right now, one is beginning to stir. One is beginning to stir in your life. You are you see the storm coming, or maybe you are just coming through a storm and it's on the tail end of the storm. Well, well, Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks to you this morning. Whether you're in the midst of the storm, or you see the storm beginning to come up in your life, or you're just coming out of the storm. He spoke to the people he initially wrote to, those believers, those Christians in the first century who were going through the storms of persecution. He speaks to the people throughout the centuries leading up until now who've gone through all kinds of storms. And He speaks to us this morning because Jesus' words, as we're going to see, peace be still, they weren't just to those 12 men. They're to you and to me. And they're ultimately to the storm. Picking it up in verse 39, and He awoke, and He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. The words in the Greek literally mean, be silent, be hushed, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. This is uh, something significant, not just in the miracle itself, but Mark is showing us something we haven't seen before. We've seen Jesus pray to God the Father before. Here He doesn't pray. Here He doesn't appeal to God the Father for help. Here, he speaks directly. He directly rebukes the storm. Hush, be silent. And by the way, that is the very same language Mark uses to describe… this goes back to chapter 1, verse 25… The man that was possessed with an unclean or an evil spirit who is demonically possessed that Jesus healed. It was the very same words that Mark uses. He rebuked the demon in that man with the same words Be silent, be muzzled, peace be still. Jesus is showing us, Mark is showing us, that Jesus has the same authority, the same power over the natural realm, over the forces of nature that He does over the demonic realm. That's what's exhibited here. And the wind ceased. In other words, it immediately stopped blowing. The waves immediately diminished so that there was a great calm, that the lake surface became smooth as a mirror. And I, again, I don't know how much you've been on a lake or or on the sea, but but when the wind usually dies down after a storm, it takes a while for the waves to settle. But that was not the case here. He not only had control over nature of the, of the ceasing of the storm, but over the, the stilling of the lake surface. He demonstrated a supernatural power over the forces of nature, one that cannot be explained with any natural explanation. Mark is giving us a glimpse here of Jesus that you and I need to see. He is showing us Jesus doing what only God can do. Many people who think of Jesus as a good man, you know, maybe as some kind of at least spiritual, highly evolved individual, but don't get to the place where they see him as God as the second person of the Godhead, of of the Son of God. Here we clearly see this, the very same power that God demonstrates over and over again through the Old Testament, the control of the forces of nature, the, the, the parting of the Red Sea. Jesus demonstrates in the ceasing of the wind and the stilling of the waves. This shows us that Jesus is not just fully human. He is Fully God. He has all the power, all the authority of God. Jesus not only rebukes the storm, I I think we could say he rebukes the disciples. And and rebuke is maybe a strong word here, because he does it in mercy and grace and love. But he not only does this with the disciples in their storm, he does it with you and me, as we'll see. But we see his rebuke of his disciples in verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? have you still no faith? And it's really the second question that is the real issue. Because the reason that the disciples were so afraid, first question, was because in spite of all they had seen and learned during their time with Jesus up to this point, they still struggled to have faith. And by faith, He means to trust that God is in control, to trust that God is sovereign, but also to trust that God cares and that God is good, that God is the God of loving kindness, that God knows the storm they're in the midst of. Their struggle is, is our struggle because storms of all kinds can blow into our lives, and maybe sometimes we can see them coming, but more often than not, storms blow into our lives like the storm came here, unexpected, quickly, to the point where all of a sudden we we find ourselves in the middle of trying to bail out the ship of our… the boat of our lives in the midst of a panic. Our emotions all stirred up, and we cry out to the Lord, and we're not hearing any immediate response, and we're going through all that struggling in our mind and our emotions. Is God here? Does He even care? In spite of all the times where we've seen in our lives God come through. God be faithful. God demonstrate His care. God demonstrate His power. We struggle in the midst of those storm moments to trust that He is really in control, that that He has control of the storm, whatever it may be, medically, financially, relationally, otherwise and that he, is, he desires to use the storm that He has us in the middle of. It's not snuck up by accident on Him. He desires to use it for our greatest good, to draw Him closer to us, to continue His sanctifying work in us. So what does this incident teach us about following Jesus in faith? I, I think one of the things it teaches us is storms are an, an unavoidable part of our lives. If you have the mistaken notion like I did when I first began to follow Jesus as a, as a teenager that, that Jesus being in my life means He's going to actually clear the storms away, you know, you find out very soon, don't you, don't you, that not only is that not true, often it is that following Jesus brings more storms. It may bring the storm of ridicule. It may bring the storms of persecution. There are… storms are an unavoidable part of our lives. None of us, no matter how still the sea of your life is going this morning, none of us sail for long on stormless seas. So, it is a metaphor that not only factually happened, but it is a metaphor for really the reality of your life and my life. And what does this incident teach us about following Jesus in faith in the middle of our storms? One, it reminds us, I mean, this may seem obvious, but I'm going to say it, he's in the boat with you. He, is, he was in the boat with them. Jesus did not expect his disciples to ignore or suppress their fears. They were in a bit of peril. But I, I think he, he hoped that they would remember he's in the boat with them. I, I would hope that, you know, if I had been in the disciples' place that, that I, I would have recalled, you know, the Son of God, you know, God is probably not going to let the boat sink with the Son of God in there. But I'm, I'm as human as these men, and I'm sure my emotions were, would have been as stirred up as them. But that is the reality. We don't have Jesus in the flesh at the present time, although He's going to return one day. But if we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have His presence through His indwelling Holy Spirit. So He was always present with us. He is with us in the storms, whether we feel His presence or not. And we don't even measure, we should not measure whether He is present, whether He is in the boat by how furious the storm is. You know, we might think the the rougher the waters are, the rougher the waves are, uh, the, the more distant God may be. I think it's actually just the opposite. I think that He makes His presence more and more real to us the rougher the storms become in our lives. Following Jesus in faith, the other thing to take away from this, I think, is that remember that the storm will not last forever. Even if Jesus had not intervened, the forces of nature would have spent themselves, and this, 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 this storm would have been over uh, after a period of time. And, and that is the case in our lives. No matter what it is, even, even something as serious as cancer, even something uh, as serious as some other life-threatening injury, it will be over one way or another. It will, it will be either over because we find physical healing, or it will be over because we go to home to be with the Lord. He doesn't leave us in the boat in the midst of the storms forever, but He desires to use those storms while He has them in us in, in our lives. One more point, and it comes out of the very last verse in the chapter, verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? You know, up to this moment, up to what Jesus did, the focus of their fears was the the storm and and that they might perish uh, through the forces of nature. Now, after what Jesus has done and demonstrated His power, the focus of their fear shifts now, the focus of their fear is not the storm and the waves. The focus of their fear is the one who is in the boat with them, who has just shown His supernatural control over nature. They'd seen a lot about Jesus up to this point. They'd seen Him healing people. They'd seen Him cast out demons. But this, this ratchets it up a notch. They now see His control over nature. And it's not the same kind of fear as the fear they had. It's even a different word than the fear they had of the storm. Here the fear is a terrifying reverence. Yes, I'm scared, but you are awesome, Lord. It is an overwhelming awe that they begin to experience. And their fear leads them to ask each other, who then is this? Who then is this? If he even has control over the forces of nature And that question is rhetorical, but that question invites them, and that question invites you and me to respond in faith. Who then is this? He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, the one who has come to be our Savior, our Lord, our King. And all that leads to one last point about what it means to follow Jesus in faith. And that is this, Jesus uses the storms in your life to give you a greater understanding of who He is. This, again, did not sneak up on Jesus and the disciples by accident. This was all orchestrated in the perfect providence of God. And the Lord, in His mercy and grace, He met these men right in the midst of their fear and struggling faith not only by saving them, but with a greater revelation of who He is, with a deeper understanding not just who who He is in His humanity, but who He is in His divinity, in His godness. He met them with a greater assurance of His presence and His power and His care, and that's what He desires to do in your life and my life. That's the way He works in our lives as we follow Him through the storms. He allows storms to blow into your life and my life. He does it among His many reasons because He knows it's in the storms that our faith is stretched in order that we might grow to become more like Him. And as the storms stretch and grow our faith, He shows us that He's able to handle every threat every anxiety, every fear in our lives. And as our faith is stretched and grown, He gives us an increasingly greater glimpse of who He is in His greatness, who He is in His loving kindness. I want you to think, even as we close today, of those words of the song that led into this teaching time, Peace Be Still. I wonder if these can be your words, your prayer this morning. Think about whatever storm it is that you are facing presently. Can you pray these words? I don't want to be afraid every time I face the waves. When you think about the storm in your life, is that your desire? I don't want to fear the storm just because I hear the roar. I want to hear the words of the Lord Jesus, spoken to the storms in my life, but spoken to me. Peace, be still, you are here, so it is well. Even when my eyes can't see, I will trust the voice that speaks. Is your prayer this morning, as that song concludes, let faith rise up. Let faith rise up. Oh, let my heart believe. Let faith rise up in me. You can make that your prayer, even this morning. Let's let's pray as we close. Jesus, once again, you overwhelm us in awe by who we see you and your word to be. And maybe there are some here this morning who have known you as a good man, maybe a great man. But here this morning, you're giving us a picture. You are so much more than that. You are not only the human man that we can relate to, you are the God man. You are the one that is Lord, you are the one that is King. And because you are the God man, what you did on the cross so perfectly suffices for our, our dilemma of sin, of separation from God. So Lord, maybe there are here, some here this morning who need to get into the boat for the first time and trust you for who you truly are and who you want to be to them, Savior and Lord. And Lord, for those of us who we've come to that place maybe you call us to get into the boat in a different way, to, to, to come to that place, Lord. We're in the midst of the storm that we're in. We, we can pray these words. Lord, let faith rise up in us. Lord, oh, let our hearts believe in a way that they have not believed. Let our faith rise up. For your glory, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.